It has been a doozy of a couple of years for schools. Few sectors or professions have been as affected by the pandemic. Nor as scrutinized and criticized by everyone on every action they've taken, all while keeping our children safe and furthering their education. That's why we're excited to talk to Superintendent Kelly Blake. Join us today as she walks us through what it's like to keep a whole district functioning and thriving. The Speakeasy Podcast, real talk about leadership and sanity in the creative industry. I'm Karen Steffel. And I'm Jen Estel. Managing creativity and business, we probably have an opinion on that. No prohibitions. Clearly, we have cocktails. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you for having me today. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for giving your time. <laughs> as our listeners understand, we first have to go through this beautiful cocktail that we have in front of us. Um, it's it's a it's an arenado. It's smoky, but it tastes a little bit like vodka. But the reason it's smoky is because it's mezcal based. Jen, what's in it? Oh my goodness, we have mezcal, Lillette Blanc, dry vermouth, yellow chartreuse, Luxardo Marchino liqueur, some bitters, and a twist for garnish. So it's kind of complicated. Um, I mean, in the end, it's not. It just has a lot of ingredients. You should check that out on our website. It's tasty. All right, Kelly. Kelly is not only the superintendent of Waverly Community Schools, but a teacher with more than 30 years experience. I understand you spent um, all but one of those years in Waverly. Yes, that's correct. This is the beginning of my 34th year. So I've been in Waverly 33 of the 34 years. Congratulations. That's a long time. It is a long time. And you know, time has a way of creeping up on you. And I started as a young teacher. And next thing you know, I've top of the seniority list. I don't know how that happened so quickly. Well, talk to us a little bit about that, because at this point, you've been teaching long enough that kindergartners that you could have experienced could be working for you. So that means you've seen lots of changes, and that means you must love and be committed to where you're at. So I, like? I love Waverly. I left for a year, and I, I, I really missed the district. And the, at the time, the curriculum director um, had a position for me. She called me mid-year and said, will you come back? And I said, I can't leave the district I'm in mid-year. And so um, she held the position and I came back the following fall. And I've been here since. It is. I, I'm committed to the district and I love our families. I love our students and our staff. I think that says so much about the district that an educator would want to stay for so long. It does. This year, people are calling me a little crazy, like you have your 30 years in and you didn't retire. But I feel really committed, especially due to the pandemic and the bond that we just passed to um, to make sure that I stay and help our district through this challenging time. It's a little bit about leading a district. I mean, let's let's maybe position that from a pre-pandemic point of view. Well, um, I have a great team. And it, you really need a good team that, that trusts one another and we make decisions together and we try to make decisions that always center on what's best for students. And there, not everyone appreciates your decisions. You're not going to always please everyone, but if you can ground it on what's best for students, I always feel good about the decisions that we make. Is it a hectic lifestyle? I mean, you've got all kinds of kids in all kinds of spaces. You've got parents, you've got school board members, you've got neighbors, you've got legislators, you've got a lot of people to please. And that just feels like a recipe for having to keep a lot of balls in the air. 
it's it's a it's a busy position um, it really is I, it's one that I don't think I would have thrived at when I had young children of my own it's it's one of those positions where you have to have your cell phone on all the time because you never know what's going to happen in the middle of the night to a building or if there's a student emergency but um, you have to prioritize your time and, and prior, prioritize what's important and try to be visible and and I do try to take some time to myself just so that I can keep the energy up for doing the best that I can in this position. Absolutely. But yes, and it so, is busy. And it's more busy for all of us right now due to yeah. the additional duties with the pandemic. Absolutely. So you had two and a half years as a superintendent in when the pandemic started? So I, I guess I will say that I took over in an interim basis in May of 17. Okay. And then I officially took over the job in December of 17. So you had some experience. You knew yes. what it was, what it was supposed to. I use that in air quotes, what it was supposed to feel like. Yes, I did. So compare and contrast that because obviously any organization is going to have some emergency preparedness uh, plans. Is, is a pandemic one of them? It really is. It was not in our big, huge binder of emergency plans. No, it's nothing. When the last pandemic, I guess, in our country was in 2017, 20, or 1917 or 18, I think 1918, mm -hmm. Spanish flu. So they don't teach you how to deal with a pandemic at um, Michigan State University, where I received my degrees. <laughs> and it was trial and error. And I'll tell you with the medical, all of the medical decisions, I weighed heavily on, on our scientists and our um, health departments because I'm not a medical professional or a scientist. So I do trust science and I do trust the recommendations that they gave us. But what we found out is as much as you plan, during the pandemic, there are always things that you didn't think about. So we were always like, oh my gosh, I didn't think about how are we going to handle that. And, and with the pandemic, things changed on a weekly basis. Sure. So you had to be flexible. I tried to really get out in front of communication and communicate with our parents early so they knew in advance, like next month, we're going to try this. Um, mm -hmm. We're still doing that with as far as um, mitigation strategies. I have told parents that I'll let them know on a monthly basis what our um, strategies will be. And so it's not like I, I can't communicate, this is what we're going to do for the 21-22 school year because you don't know what the metrics will look like. So we try to stay on top of a month-by-month -month plan. Yeah. Let's, let's take a few really big steps backwards, though. I remember when we went home and kids were moved online. I thought it was going to be for three weeks. Ooh. What was your expectation? <laughs> right, Jen's laughing at me. We all thought you know, it was just going to be a minute. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it was like, a, you know, a really nasty course. We have to get through this a month at tops. So what was your initial thinking when you had to go home? I thought we would be, I thought we'd be home through the remainder of the school year. And for sure, in the fall, we'd go back to normal. Yeah. Um. I do have to, I have to give a shout out. We closed, the kids, we closed March 13th and our food service staff started handing out meals Monday, March 16th. That's amazing. They're That's amazing. And, you know, they, they are amazing. 
and they have handed out um, 324,000 breakfasts and I believe it's 318,000 lunches between that March 16th date and then August 9th of, of this year. That's amazing. So, yeah. yeah. I find that so fascinating too. And it, being a Waverly parent, I saw all of the communications and watched all of this happen real time. So I find this fascinating. But the thing that gets me is not only are we trying to figure out how to educate children, we're, you're also feeding families. And the fact that you would have to mobilize to do something that technically isn't in your job description necessarily, but you and every other school had to figure out how to, how to close that societal gap on top of figuring out technology and remote learning and all of these things. That's a lot. It was a lot. And I will tell you, we had bus drivers, teachers, principals, custodians volunteer to hand out food and volunteer to make deliveries for parents that didn't have cars. Um, you know, several principals dropped laptops and computers off at students' homes. Um, it really was amazing. It, you know, they, it's true what they say. It takes a village because everyone pitched in and just did what they needed to do to make sure our kids were taken care of. How, what did your team look like in terms of, okay, we're going to go home until the end of the year. We need technology. We need teachers trained. We need to adjust the curriculum. We need to address food insecurity. We need to address uh, access to the internet. Like how, what did, what did all of those sprockets look like for your, your team? Well, uh, we are very fortunate in Waverly that we had devices for all of our students. I know some districts weren't that fortunate and they had to scramble because, um, you know, they were at a premium. So even if you ordered Chromebooks, it took months to get them in. So we had communicated to staff that we we're going to work through a Google cl Classroom platform. Except for our kindergartners, we used something called Seesaw. And... Um, it was a learning curve. We did training for the teachers. Some of the teachers have never used that platform before. What's interesting is this fall I went to a professional development and the trainer was talking about all of these different um, technology platforms you could use. And then we all stopped and said, you know what, a year ago in a training, we or a year and a half ago, we would have said, wait a minute, we don't know how to do that. And there wasn't even a pause. They're like, we can do that. There was so much learning that took place during the shutdown mm -hmm. that um, that it's learning that we can use now to move forth. I don't think education is going to look the same as it did pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. But um, you're right. There was a lot to think about. There was food to hand out. We got um, some modems for students who didn't have internet service. We did a lot of Google surveys to find out what people needed. Um, we started out doing some paper packets for people until we could get all those uh, systems in place and uh, learned a lot along the way. Yeah. So. And then you have the, the on top of the food insecurity, it has to keep you up, or it had to keep you up at night. Maybe it still does that the more people are at home, the more um some of the symptoms of an unhealthy household get exacerbated, whether that's mental health issues or um, abuse of one kind or another. And it just had to keep you up at night worrying about the mental wellness of, of the students. It, it did. And we did um, 
construct some social emotional lessons and we have some surveys that students have taken so we can gauge where they are social you know their social emotional health um, but a lot of times students who are in homes that might not be calm and peaceful and comfortable they come to school as their safe place yeah where they can have trusted adults and they feel safe and they know that they're cared about and um and what's interesting it's been a difficult transition back to in person for some students because they're not used to the structure of a day and um and so it it's been a little difficult in in our People are working really hard to make sure these kids know they're cared about, and, and this is our routine, and and um, and it's not just in Waverly. It's I've heard it at several region meetings. It's it's hard to reacclimate when you've been out of school. Some of them for eighteen months. So, yeah, Kelly, I have a first grader, and my my kindergartner had never met any people in her in her classroom. Nor and only once at like a packet pickup did she meet her teacher in person. It was all over Seesaw and mm-hmm. Zoom. And at conferences this this month, um, the teacher talked about how behind the kids are, especially in reading and handwriting, but that she spends a lot of time just ta- reminding kids how school works, mm-hmm. that we sit on our bottoms and that we stay in straight lines and that first graders usually don't need those reminders because they've already had practice. So I, I'm curious about that. But then I'm also curious about kids at the other end of their school experience and whether they're not sure if they're going to go to college or if there's like a fallout on the other end. You know, I'm not sure about the college angle. I, I haven't been to the high school to talk to kids about that. Um but you're right, some of our students left March 13th in elementary school, and when they returned, they were in middle school. So it's just a little bit of a developmental lag. But we are really focused here. We said we're not going to talk about learning loss because we think our kids learned a whole lot over the last 18 months. They, they learned how to be resilient. They learned how to do online learning. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to take them where they are. We did a lot of assessments this fall we want to take them where they are and try to to move them forward because we we feel they learned a lot of skills that they might not necessarily have learned in the school setting um sure. while they were out yeah i mean i, love I that saw point that of with, view. I, I saw that with my student a lot he i i my i'm on my third 13 year old and his digital literacy is so much higher than his older brothers because of having to go through this I want to ask you, though, a different question, because as I'm hearing you talk, I'm really thinking through it. And I have a strange thing in my head where I can't tell time in COVID. But if I'm right, so you're you're looking at three different years. Year one, utter surprise in an emergency that didn't have a plan. Year two, a, a whole year of teaching entirely different than we ever had before. And year three, trying to reacclimate to an in-person learning environment, which is a challenge for everyone. So when I think of that from a business standpoint, it's like you're running three separate types of schools in three separate types of years. How mm. do you, you know, how does your, how do you manage that as a leader? And how do you account for that with metrics that somebody's asking you for? It's just not an apple to apple situation at all. I find it so interesting. You know, it has been interesting. And, and 
our whole team we just we've had to be flexible it's like all hands on deck um I look at the MI startup page where the metrics are. I look at it every single day, and we haven't we have a nurse that's helping us um, with some of those health challenges. We started something called um, Test to Stay. I don't know if you've heard of that. Several districts are doing that. So um, we we just hired an additional medical assistant. I've been helping them because we have so many kids that are coming, and we are waiting to get additional help which is another issue i'd like to talk to you about is is trying to find people to to work in the school when we need extra bodies right now so we have kids coming to um, our central office building through the the drive-through loop to do testing every morning so if they're negative they can stay in school and i'm super happy that we could start that because kids initially were missing too many too too many days of school we've had i believe as of today it's I think it's 45 or 46 positive cases this year, but um, I'm pleased to say none of them are from school to school contact. So we have zero outbreaks since this whole thing started. And we're extremely proud of that. We're That's amazing. thinking our mitigation strategies are working so far, knock on wood. I hope it remains that way, but, um, but yes, it's been interesting. And there's a lot of things that um, many of us thought we'd never do in our career that we have done now. You know, earlier you said something about that the education may never be the same again. And there are some silver linings in that, um, for sure. But on the other side, you know, Jen mentioned digital literacy and uh, innovation has certainly been everywhere across all sectors. But, you know, you've got I assume if Waverly is like a lot of districts, you had probably a mass exodus of teachers, or at least you were, you felt pain with that. Um, I know that there are bus driver shortages. There's now hiring signs everywhere. You're you're needing more bodies. You know what? What are some of the impacts of COVID on it on the school district um, that you wish you could change? Well. You're right. We had we had some retirees. Um, people aren't going into teaching at the same rate that that they were, and that was a problem prior to COVID. Um, and then retirees that typically would come back and fill in or substitute our our older population. They don't want to subject themselves to to you know COVID. So it's been very challenging to find substitute teachers. Uh, we actually did just hire two bus drivers, so we're doing pretty well with that. Um, it's it's a constant, our, our HR department is doing constant contact tracing and hiring. We are, you know, putting messages out in several different um, job career platforms, trying to, to find people. What we, we're working right now is just to hire full-time substitute teachers we find someone we hire them every day the rest of the year just so we have have people that's really smart is that is that something you have ever done in the past we have done it before had something called building subs and and we reinvigorated it this year we said if you can find two hire them we'll need them somewhere in the district just so we have a dedicated person so yes that the staffing is is very challenging and then we're in the midst of a bond and we, you know, we planned it 
pre-pandemic and now the costs have risen so drastically and right. there are problems with workforce. Um, we had planned to start uh, renovation on our high school. This the, Here's just one example on our high school auditorium. And the construction company we use is really conservative in their bids and usually what they plan is a little higher than what we pay. And just for the electrical at the high school auditorium, we had planned for around 450,000. The bids came out at a million and a half. So yeah, wow. just the, the price of copper was high. Um, so we had to pause the project because mm -hmm. you know we had really great, the best laid plans, right? And um, pandemic has driven up the cost of construction. There's a shortage of, of the workforce in that area. So it, it affects more than just instructional practices in a school. It's, it's affecting other things as well. So I asked you what you wish you could change about the impact of COVID, but what are you um, pleasantly surprised that it has happened? Well, I think that we have been, because of the digital platform, we've been able to reach more parents. For example, we have um, students with IEPs. We have to have IEP meetings, and it's much easier for some of our parents to join via Zoom or via Google Meet than if they don't have accessible um, transportation or their work schedule is hard to work around. I feel like we've been able to um, I guess contact and meet with more families in a in an easier in an easier way. It's easier for the parents. Oh, for sure. I mean, speaking from experience, parent-teacher conferences are delightfully easy when they are virtual. They're efficient and so much nicer. You know, <laughs> Jen, you are not the first person to say that to me, and I feel like that's one of those things that we will continue doing. Yeah because right now it limits crowds, but it's just for ease of communication with parents. Typically we have, you know, all of our parents are in the workforce and what would make life easier for them and where we can still communicate with them in the way that we need to. Well, and when school ends at 2.30 or 3.30, those teachers are working into the evening and, and, and parents, sometimes it's hard to show up someplace at 2.30. So maybe it's efficient for the teachers as well. The teachers loved it also, yes. They had several positive messages regarding how we handled um, parent-teacher conferences. So one bright spot, I suppose. Yes, it is. It is. Talk a little bit to me about your teachers, because if there's anybody, I mean, there have been all kinds of sectors who have really put forth effort, but I think teachers had to carry a lot during pandemic. And invent new ways of solving problems and the you know the anecdotal stories you hear are just astronomical so talk to me about keeping your staff motivated and supported when they're having to figure all of this out yeah. teachers i say that they flipped on a dime they became online teachers really on march 16th practically overnight um i i our teach our teachers are amazing they're probably the best around, but it's, I know they've, several have said they, they've learned so much. And I thought last year was the most difficult year, but I guess I'm going to say it, this year has been more difficult, mainly because some of the things that um, we've talked about, how kids are struggling a little bit with 
with returning to a in-person platform and they're returning and the teachers are speaking through masks all day and and it's and you don't recognize the kids because you haven't seen them in so long so long and they have masks on also but um our kids have been great about keeping their masks on and doing what they need to do for mitigation and our teachers they're pushing through they're resilient they're they're doing what's right for the kids and what's best for the kids and and they spend a lot of time looking at um, what are the standards what are the important things that we need to start with with these kids and they spent at least two weeks we said no no new instruction the first two weeks of school we spent just building relationships um, reestablishing routines and learning structures in the classroom and our teachers are great at relationship building and if you don't have that you can't get them for anything else if you don't earn their trust and you don't build relationships with them um, the other stuff doesn't come along as naturally as it should so well said and so true it is so true it, but I'm just going to go back really quick. You said you haven't had any outbreaks in your school, but if I remember correctly, you enforced a mask mandate within the district from the word go. Is that right? Yes, I did. It was really the easiest decision I've ever made because I am not going to put our students or our staff at risk. I'm just not going to do it. Um, I, I looked at the metrics within Eaton and Ingham County, and I, I didn't like how they looked. Uh, the the county health departments at one point were, were strongly recommending and not requiring. And I thought if the medical professionals are recommending, I'm going to trust what they're telling me. And we are going to always err on the side of safety. And, well, and, it, well, and in it those really wasn't a hard decision. <laughs> that's great. And in those situations, too, it's easier. It is harder to start without and then add it. Yes. Then just make it the baseline. I, I do want to say I'm super appreciative of our, our families and our parents. Because I know there are, are neighboring districts who are having uh, like board meetings that last five hours and people complaining about um, masks. And our families have been very supportive for the most part. We had a, a group come to the last board meeting um, called Moms of Liberty. Apparently, there's a Waverly chapter, and they had asked for the board members and myself to resign due to the mask mandate. And, um, you know, I push back on that. I feel like it's my job to ensure that our students and our staff are safe. And, and I feel like our personal district data regarding lack of outbreaks is um, all the proof that I need to continue doing what we think is right for as far as safety. Yeah, absolutely. So, so we're going to, you know, reevaluate every month. We're thinking maybe um, that sometime after the winter break, maybe we'll go to masking only if you're not vaccinated. I'm not sure. We'll just have to wait and see what the metrics look like. Yeah, absolutely. What does your crystal ball say? <laughs> I've been wanting a crystal ball for the last 20 months. That's what I keep saying to my team. If we only had a crystal ball, my crystal ball says that we'll probably spend the majority of this year in masks. And we have, you know, kids are sitting so in the same seat every day. We have seating charts. We've restricted some movement. 
Um, we're not allowing visitors in the classroom and we're not doing field trips right now. So maybe some of that will open up, but I have a feeling a large part of the year will will wear masks, but I'm hearing that our numbers are, are steadying a little bit in the county. So I hope, I hope that's happened and there has not been a variant according to the health department that has taken stronghold. So I feel like those are good signs. Those are good signs. I'm and hopeful. What, I want to, one, one last thing I'd, I'd like to hear from your point of view. This has been an incredible shakeup for education as it has for many industries. Um, do you think sometimes shakeups are healthy and it's made us look at how we treat education and what we expect of education and will it make us think differently? Do you think the future will hold a, a, a sea change in how we educate our youth and how we treat this sector? What do you what do you think is going to happen moving forward? I am hopeful that um, the pandemic will will bring more honor back to the education profession. I think a lot of people at home have experienced um, what it's like to, to teach kids. And I feel like that honor has eroded in the you know past couple decades and that may be the the result of that may be um, fewer people going into the field and then I'm hopeful that um, that people gain a greater appreciation for educators and realize that at least in Waverly um, our people have done everything they can to take care of kids and make sure that that we were doing everything we could to get them through this pandemic. I absolutely hope that the way that parents, you know, held the teachers up on a pedestal is not a short-term memory. I too hope that that is something that that stays because it's a hard job and you you have to be both gifted and skilled. And you don't go into it for the money, but man, teachers need to make more money. I agree with you. I do. And, and I know that they are tired at the end of the day. They really, they really are tired. Yeah. But they're hanging in there. They really, they're, they're hanging in there. They're resilient. So I keep saying we'll get through this together. It, it will get better. I don't know when because I don't have a crystal ball yet, but it will get better. Well, if I find one, I'll give it to you first. I would greatly appreciate that. <laughs> one more pitch, though. Give us your... Um your most compelling pitch as to why someone young should choose education as a career. How many how many careers are there that you actually can touch a life like a teacher? I get emotional. <laughs> we do that sometimes too. All the time. I, when was it? Two nights ago, I got a Facebook message, like a private message from a former student who's pregnant. She's, you know, in her thirties now. And she said, oh, she sent me a cover of the inside of a book that I had given her. It said, Merry Christmas, 1994, love Mrs. Blake. And she said, I just want you to know my new baby. I'm going to read them that book. Oh. So not many professions can bring those feelings. That, that is, is very true. true. Yeah. Mm. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Thank goodness. you. Thank yes. you for... um for honoring this profession. Yeah. I appreciate it. 
Well, I think I can speak for Jen in that we have only the most deep love and respect for teachers. As do I, yes. It's been, it's been a great run for me. It's a great profession. It's a, it's a great way to serve our, our world. It's very cool. And I really appreciate that you took the time to sort of give us a window into what that felt like for the past few years. So we will be rooting for you. Yeah. Thank you very much. We'll get through. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for being on. Appreciate it. Thank you. Ooh, Karen, that talk with Kelly was fantastic. What are we talking about next time? Well, we've talked about kind of fake it till you make it before, but to be honest, we've changed our minds. That's right. We're past our years of imposter syndrome. We've worked damn hard at becoming experts. Join us as we talk through how we changed the narrative and left imposter syndrome behind. See you next time. Cheers. Cheers.